So, you doing all right? Good. I got to show you something. Our new series, we're going to start a new series today, and it's uh, going to be in, in the book of Exodus. And I got a little graphic for you so you can see that. And if you want to go check it out, it's this, our, our series in Exodus is going to be called Exodus, huh, funny enough, God Moves His People. And this is going to be talking about not just the plagues and how he redeemed Israel out of, out of bondage in Egypt, but focusing on when they leave Egypt. And so we're not going to go through the whole book of Exodus, but we're going to just hit a, a, a big section of it right after the people leave. Okay. And so while we're doing that, so to get our Exodus series started, I am going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to first Corinthians chapter 10, because that makes a lot of sense. So to start our Exodus series, we're going to be in first Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't have a copy of God's word, obviously first Corinthians is in the new Testament. If you don't have a copy of God's word, it'll be, be on the screen here for you. And here's why I'm going to start in first Corinthians chapter 10 to talk about Moses and Exodus and the people of Israel. I don't know about you, but when I grew up in church, I had a I had an understanding of a lot of the stories, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. I got a lot of those stories. I got Daniel's, Daniel in the lion's den. I heard about Moses in the Red Sea. I heard about all these things. And then I got a lot of stories about Jesus and how he would feed the 5,000 and he would heal the leper and how he died on the cross. But I want to be honest with you. I had a very disjointed, weird view of those stories and how they fit together. You might still be in that case. You're like, how does that relate to this? And it's important that you understand that they do relate to one another, but it's also important that you are okay with looking into and understanding why these things relate. See, I knew all these songs when I was a kid, and I did not understand how they related. If you've heard these songs before, feel free to sing along. If not, it's okay. Just be blessed, okay? The first one, and I, know, I want you to know we have some pterodactyls living up here, so if you hear that, I just want to acknowledge that, so because that's the elephant in the room. We're going to try to get the birds out, or pterodactyls, or whatever's living in there, ravens, or you know, pigeons, or pelicans, I don't know. But uh, you're going to hear them over here. They're, they're hungry this morning. Um, anyway, you might have heard this song before. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm. And so then you like, you went to all these different arms and stuff and it was a kid's song. And I was like, man, I like that song, but I didn't get it. Like I don't, my dad's not named Abraham. I know there's an Abraham in the Bible, but he didn't look like too good of a dad for a while there because he was going to kill his son on an altar, but God told him to, okay, well, that's weird. All right, well, how does this, and he's going to have a lot of this. I don't understand how Abraham relates to me and John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but everlasting life. I don't get how that happens. And then there's another song, which is done to Luai Luai, or, uh, it, and it was, you're welcome for this, by the way, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Huh. Yeah, 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 that existed. You wanted to hear that today. Be blessed. And then I was like, how does that story, and I get some of it, how does that story relate to Jesus and where I am now? We're going to 1 Corinthians to help us understand why these stories, especially the Exodus, help us understand our Christian life and our salvation in Jesus. See, the, we cannot divorce the New Testament from the Old Testament because the Old Testament rounds out our understanding of all who Jesus is. And I want you to know that Jesus is bigger than you thought he was. And so we need to understand this for our Christian life, to see salvation and to see the Christian life. And so we're going to start in 1 Corinthians, and I want to show you today how you can connect 
And then I want to show you why we're going to go through this Exodus series and talk about this story and how God is going to inform the way we live our Christian life through this series. And I'm very excited about the way we are going to get to, to see God move in these stories. So if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, and I think that's the end of the singing today, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Paul writes, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples. If you have your own copy of God's word, you need to circle that. That's a big word. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Don't, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and to drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did when they were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11, now these things happen as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Notice this, when you see a repeating word in the Bible, especially when you're reading it and trying to comprehend it, when you see a repeating word, you need to circle those because they're important because that is getting the gist of the conversation. And so example is is an interesting word that we're going to focus on in a minute. And I want you to circle that because here's what Paul is saying. The Old Testament, especially the Exodus story, is an example to us to help us live the Christian life and to walk in Christ. So that story in the Old Testament, all that stuff that happened, all the weird things and all of the manna from heaven and all that kind of stuff, it is meant as an example to us to show us who Christ is, to show us our salvation, but to also show us how we ought to live now and live out our lives as believers in Jesus. They're examples, they're instructions. I don't know if you've ever gotten anything from Ikea. Is anybody? Okay, this is not going to work then, okay? (laughs) I get, if you go to Ikea, they give you instructions, okay? Most of you may throw, if you're, if you're a man in here, you probably throw out the instructions. I'm so inept at putting things together, I have to look at the instructions. But Ikea doesn't help because instead of having words, because they decided, because it's a, it's a uh, Norwegian company, that they decided, or Swedish, I think, they decided that they were, instead of writing instructions that would need to be translated, you know, have you ever been, like, you're putting together a barbecue grill, and, like, it's, like, English and French and German, and you're reading it, and, like, you recognize some of the words, but you're like, am I having a stroke? Because I don't understand this. And Amy's like, that's French, Matt. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And so you get over to this, and you find the page. And so Ikea, instead of translating all that stuff, they just decided to draw pictures. And it's a little cartoon guy putting together the thing. It is so unhelpful. Amy and I have promised each other to stay together forever. Ikea put that to the test, okay? Just make you mad. And so these instructions, see, life is hard with instructions. It's even more difficult when you throw the instructions out. 
And so here we see in the Old Testament stories, especially in the Exodus, that God has written those for our instruction, example to us. And notice, I want to point out, if you go back, and I'm going to walk through verses 1 through 5 just to make you, make you understand that this, he's talking about the Exodus. And you might, have, we might, you might have read that, and you're like, what is he talking about? I'm going to just briefly explain it. Verse 1 says, for I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. And Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and they, it's a church with a lot of problems. And so you know what his, his, his idea, a church that has having problems, spiritual problems, do you know what he does? He doesn't take them through conflict resolution. Okay, that's not unimportant, but that's not where he goes. He doesn't take them to a seminar on how to get along better. You know what he talks about? The Old Testament and how God worked in the Old Testament and used that as an example to help them. Okay, So he's writing to this church and he says this, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, those who came before us in the faith, were under the cloud. That's weird. What is he talking about? And we're going to get to this. This will be part of our exodus our time in Exodus, the cloud was when God led his people out of Egypt after the 10 plagues, the last being the death of the firstborn, and he brought Israel out. You know how he led them during the day? By a cloud. And at night, he led them by a pillar of fire. That was like the first headlights. I mean, like, there were you going. Follow the giant pillar of fire. We'll be good. And so when he says that, I want you to know our fathers were under the cloud. Now, he's writing to a church in Corinth, okay? I want you to get this. This church is made up of predominantly Gentiles, okay? They had a lot of problems in Corinth. People in the church had been formerly cross-dressers, okay, and were involved in temple prostitution. This was not a Jewish society. Corinth was very worldly and very pagan. And so he's not writing to a bunch of Jews at Corinth, when he says they're fathers. I want you to get this, okay? If you are in Jesus, if you have trusted Christ in his finished work, you have now been engrafted or put in to the covenant people of God. So all the promises and therefore are now yours. You are part of the, we're not, many people wrongly think that Christians are second class citizens in God's economy. No, we are citizens of the king. Just like a Jewish believer or the Old Testament saints that believed in the promise of the Messiah, now when we believe in the Messiah, we are all the promises of Abraham. We are Abraham's children. I love to make people mad with that because there's so many people that were talking about, well, I'm, you know, I tried to practice all this Jewish stuff, and I said, I'm more Jewish than you, bro. You know why? Because I trust the Jewish carpenter who was the son of God who put me into the people of God. I'm just as much a person of God as someone who has trusted Christ and still has a Jewish heritage and still practices all those things. But I don't have to practice them. You know why? Because Jesus fulfilled all those things. So I don't have to do Passover. You know why? Because the Passover lamb already came. Jesus paid the price. All of those symbols, which we're going to talk about, pointed to Jesus. And so we don't have to do that. I don't have to wear a yarmulke to cover my bald spot. You know why? Because Jesus is my covering. Okay? I don't have to celebrate Passover. I can celebrate Easter. You know why? Because Easter is the fulfillment of the Passover. I don't have to do Jewish laws and rituals. I can eat bacon. Because he made all things clean. He's the fulfillment of those things. And I am in, and you are in, if you're in Christ, you are in the promised people of God. It's good news. You're not a second-class citizen because you don't have Jewish heritage. It's good news. 
Our fathers, so when they say our fathers, like we have a heritage of faith that when we look in Old Testament, those who trusted in Christ, they're our brothers and sisters too. They were trusting, they were saved by trusting in the future promise of the Messiah. We are trust, today we are saved by trusting in the finished work of the Messiah. And so here's what happens. He says, when they, he says in verse 1, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were under the cloud. Which means they followed the cloud out of, out of Egypt. And all passed through the sea. And he's talking about, if you remember the stories, and if you don't, here's a good, here's a good thing. Okay, You're going to get them. That's why we're going back in Exodus and looking through them and taking them piece by piece. But here's, here's how it started. When God... God's people were in Egypt, if you remember. Remember we talked about this, and they, Pharaoh would not let them go, and they were, being, they were being enslaved, and they were being treated poorly by Pharaoh. And God heard his people's cry, Israel, and he sent Moses to come. He came to Moses in a burning bush, and he said, Moses, I want you to lead the people out. And through a lot of different processes, he led the people out. It took 10 plagues for Pharaoh to finally let him go. There was frogs and gnats and blood. The river Nile turned to blood. Then you had the last one with the death of the firstborn, which I mentioned. Then he led them out. And then Pharaoh had another change of heart, and he goes out and he pursues the people of Israel. And they, they, was, they were between a rock and a hard place. They were between the armies of Pharaoh. And at that point in history, that was the largest, most technologically advanced army of the time. And they had on the other side, they had the sea. And so what happens? God parts the sea for them to walk across on dry land. And as they walk through, they make it through. Pharaoh's armies are there, and then God crushes Pharaoh's armies with the water. It says, brothers, I want you to remember that our fathers, they were under the cloud, and they passed through the sea. They saw God's salvation, and they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food. So then, after God had led them out of Egypt... They were wandering in this desert place. And it's not a very big place, but God made them wander on purpose for our instruction later on and for their holiness. And as they were wandering around, they didn't have anything to eat. They couldn't plant crops. So you know what he had come fall from heaven? It was manna, bread from heaven, literally rendered what is it? So there was this white, cakey stuff, flaky stuff that fell to the ground every morning and they would eat. So God provided for them there. And it was talking about, this is not just, he says spiritual food here. So it's not just physically that they were eating, but this is pointing to spiritual realities. When they got the manna, here's the thing about the manna. They had to pick it up every morning and they couldn't keep it overnight. They couldn't stockpile it. What would happen? At the end of every night, it would become rancid and they couldn't eat it except for on the Sabbath or the day before the Sabbath. And then they could have two days worth. They had to trust God for provision every single day. This is an exercise in faith. We also see that they also drank from the, st- the same spiritual drink, which is not, the water was real water. It wasn't like, come and drink spiritual water. Just, just, just an aside, you realize, like, there's no such thing as, like, blessed food, right? You get that. Maybe you don't, but... When somebody, if someone ever offers you to send you blessed water from somewhere that people have prayed over, that's, that's malarkey, okay? That's, a, that's, that's ridiculously stupid. Don't buy that, okay? Just stop. That's like something that people actually do. You may not have seen that, but if you turn on TV and some of the Christian channels, quote unquote, and you see that, and they're like, we're going to send you some water blessed from the Holy Land by Pastor So-and-so. They don't give you, like, at seminary, ability to bless things. You know that, right? 
Do you know who the only person who blesses things is? Is God. You know that? So when you say, say the blessing, we're not really saying a blessing, right? We're just asking God to bless the food, okay? And when we're, when we're saying that type of stuff. So this spiritual drink is not like, oh, look, this has been blessed. This, is, comes, from, this comes from the, um, you know, the Jordan River, and maybe Jesus was there, and, and, and we, this is a particle that touched him. So let's just... Foolish. Foolish. Don't believe that. The spiritual drink he's talking about, it was real water. When the people were out in the desert wandering around and they needed water, a rock in two different occasions produced water. They drank it. It was literally H2O. It was not some spiritual water where they got it and it was like, oh, oh, look, spiritual drink, yeah, okay? It wasn't like that, like when you go to like a, like a Pepsi commercial where you drink it and then you're having fun. That's not exactly what, it was just H2O, but it was spiritual in the sense that God provided for them out of nothing, out of a desert place, he provided for them what they needed to survive. That's why it's a spiritual drink. And then we see in in. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it said, in verse 4, it says, they drank from the spiritual rock, which again is a real rock, okay? It's not a spiritual rock. It's not like a glowing with spiritual aura or anything like that. It is a real rock, but it's spiritual in this, that it followed them, and the rock was Christ. It was pointing to this, that this rock, that water came out when they were thirsty, God miraculously made water flow in the desert from a rock. You know that water doesn't naturally flow from rocks, in a desert. He does this to show them how much they need salvation and a source of sustenance in this situation, and it points to Jesus and his presence with them through this rock. And then it says in verse 5, nevertheless, that's some pretty big stuff they had seen God do, right? They were in bondage. God freed them through all these miraculous signs. They didn't have a way, they didn't know the way to go, and God gave them GPS through a cloud and a pillar of fire. They did not know how they were going to get through the sea or get through the army, but God made a way through the Red Sea. They did not know what they were going to eat, but God gave them food so they would not die. They did not know what they were going to drink, but God gave them Water from a rock that represented Christ. He came through in so many ways. But nevertheless, most of them, God was not, and most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. And so Paul is making a point here. You can see all of these spiritual things unfold and still live in unbelief. And his point to the Corinthians at this point is, don't be like our spiritual fathers who saw all the goodness of God and the greatness of God, and they saw Christ even in those, those elements. He, it was the foreshadowing of Jesus to come. It was symbolic of Jesus to come. It was real stuff, but it pointed to a symbolic meaning of who Jesus was, of God's provision and God's salvation and God leading his people. But these people saw it with their own eyes, and they would not believe But he says this in verse 6. Now, these things took place as examples. Examples. Remember that to us. 
that we might not desire evil as they did. They saw it firsthand and they didn't believe. But we now, through the eyes of faith, when we look back at those stories, they're given to us as examples so that we won't live in the same evil desires that they lived in. And he kind of unpacks the evil desires here in the verses following. He talks about idolatry, sexual immorality. In verse 8, verse 9, he talks about putting Christ to the test. In verse 10, he talks about grumbling. And then verse 11 says this, Now these things happened to us as an example. Word appears again. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Now, I want you to give you an example, okay? Or give, give you a definition of what we're talking about when we say example. So if you would, Robert, throw that slide up there on the screen. And so here is what we got. This is from the ESV Study Bible, and I thought it was a good example, good example of an example. That sounds, that's redundant. I thought this was a good definition that helps us understand a type or example. Because this word example in the Greek is typos, okay? Which we get, not typo, okay? It's typos, and it means like a type, okay? So here's what it talks about. When you see the word example or type in the New Testament, here's what you, you, get, you can see. Here's how you need to define it. It's a special example or a symbol or a picture that God designed beforehand and that he placed in history at an earlier point in time in order to point forward to a later, larger fulfillment. Okay? Let me get that. There's the old t- God in his sovereignty in the past has made all these events happen physically and real. And he put them in the past so that when we're in the future, the people in the future can look back and they could see what God was doing and help us understand more fully our faith, who Jesus is, and how we ought to live the Christian life. And, I wanna, and you, we need this. Because you can tell somebody directly something, or you can tell them a story, and usually the story has way more impact. Let me give you an example. The boy who cried wolf. Okay? You can tell your kids, tell the truth, or you'll get you in trouble. Okay? Do you know what that sounds like to most kids? And even adults sometimes. Okay, Charlie Brown teacher. Okay, you might even get that sentiment. But then you tell the, the story of the boy who cried wolf, which he was saying there was a wolf, and people were all scared. And then there was a wolf, and they didn't believe him, and tragedy struck. Okay, let me give you another example because you're thinking, yeah, I've heard that before. We're not in danger of wolves, Matt. Okay, maybe a bear, but I'm not really worried about wolves. And, and that would be missing the point. But let me tell you another story. My brother and I both, we like to play tricks on people. Sometimes we play tricks on each other. We also look like each other. You probably saw that when he was here. Um, and so when one of our favorite things to do was to get my mom riled up by pretending we shut our hand in the car door. Or we would think... We would make her think that she shut our hands in the car door. We, you know, put your hand up there real quick while she's shutting it. We go, ah, mom! So, this happened to both of us in different times in different places. But I will tell you this: um, there was a time where I did that, and it shut on my hand. I wasn't fast enough, and she locked the door, and I heard it lock. And if you've ever shut your hand in a car door, it's excruciating. And then I couldn't talk. I was like, ah! And she was like, shut up, Matt, okay? She's going to love that I told that story. Shut up, Matt. And I walked, she walked into the house and kept hitting the fob thing. And my hands are in there. I'm like, ah! Ah! I mean, it was minutes. And then it felt like an eternity. I mean, just an eternity. 
And she comes back, unlocks it, and then my hand can come out. No broken bones, thank God, but I learned a lesson. Boy, who cried wolf? Be careful about telling the truth, right? That has more impact, right, than telling you, better be honest, tell the truth, or there will be consequences. That story makes you go, I don't want to get my hand in a car. Uh, car door, that sounds bad. I don't want to be eaten by wolves. Okay, now that, so God gives us the Exodus stories on purpose as examples. Something, let me read that again, a special example or a symbol or a picture that God designed beforehand that he placed in the history at an earlier point in time in order that to point forward to a larger, greater fulfillment. So he's given us his old things as this picture that helps us understand how we ought to walk in Christ. And not just walk in Christ, but also how we ought to understand Christ and how we ought to live now. It was given there. Those Old Testament stories were not just for the people's salvation. It's for our salvation now that we look back and God gives us these examples and instructions that help us learn how to live the Christian life and to see Jesus fully. And the best one I could show you, the most clearly, the, the, the most, the clearest of all the examples would be on the last plague. The last plague, there was 10 plagues. There was water turned into blood. There was frogs. There was gnats. There was flies. There was the Egyptian livestock died. There was boils. There was hail. There was locusts. There was darkness. And finally, there was the death of the firstborn. An angel of the Lord came on that night and killed every firstborn in Egypt. It's a terrible thing. But I want you to get this, just to understand this. God had, before this came, God had been incredibly patient with the Egyptians. Do you get that? I just want to just point that out. He gave them nine warnings to let the people go before the tenth came. And the tenth was a nuclear option. And so the angel of the Lord would come around at night, and every firstborn in Egypt would die. And the Bible even talks about it. This is in Exodus chapter 12, that there's this whale that comes up. You imagine so many dead. But the people of Israel were passed over. Why? Because they had the blood of a spotless lamb on the door frames. What's that pointing towards? Christ. That if you are covered by a sacrifice of blood, namely the one Son of God who is the Lamb of God slain, the judgment of God passes over. And I want you to know, I could tell, I could tell you that all day, that like Jesus washes away sin. But when you put it in the framework of that story, and you see the death and destruction in, in a Pharaoh's house, and the wail that comes up from all those mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers mourning the death. And then you see that Israel is spared from God's judgment because of the blood. And then we know that Jesus, before he went to the cross, do you know what he celebrated with the disciples? The Passover meal. The Lamb of God celebrated a symbol of of his own sacrifice before he went to the cross, before he, he hung there and died. And you know what? That opens up that story. And it makes it so much more real and honest and raw and gives so much more glory to God. And it's easy to forget a saying, but it's hard to forget a story. 
especially a God story like that. And it's given to us, as Paul would say here, as an example. Verse 6, now these things, all of the Old Testament things, especially the Exodus, which he had been talking about, these things are given to us as an example. And there's a couple reasons he puts in here, that we might not desire evil as they did. You know why? Because you see, when we get to see the whole of the story, now in our life, we only see part of the story. You get that right in your life now? You only see part of the story. You don't see right now where you are. You don't see what your decisions you make now are going to do until later, what they're going to end in your life, what they're going to produce in your life. You don't see that now. You'll see it later, but you don't see it now. When we look at stories in the Old Testament, we can actually see the beginning, the motivation, and the outcome. So we see what happens to to Israel when they sin and they turn away from God. We see the outcome of that, and it's there to show us that our desires, though they are strong, they can lead us to death. And we have not just examples of that. We not just have like me telling you that or the Bible telling you that, that sin is wrong and leads to death and it's not good for you. We have stories that show that the people of God who were seeing the things of God, they, their desires led them down a path that led to destruction. And so these stories are here to help us fight against our desires. Do you know our desires are strong? Right? So... I've been taking some treatments, as you guys know, and it has made me averse to cold things, which means that I can't, I, when I, right after I had my treatment, I couldn't touch a metal fork because it was like, <laughs> it was like I was a vampire or something, like touching silver. <laughs> okay, vampires don't exist. Just kidding. I just, that was a joke. Somebody's like, I'm going to email him right now. Okay, um, that's unbiblical. I know, I'm just making a joke. It wasn't a good one. It just, so I could and I couldn't drink cold beverages with ice in them. I had to drink everything lukewarm. I felt like I was in Europe. It was, it was not, it was not fun. Okay. And especially that first week I got very nauseated and you know, the only thing I wanted was an ice cold Coke and I could have had one because I'd asked my wife and she'd have gotten me one, but you know what would happen? It would have been like drinking battery acid because of that. So it would have been, it's what I wanted. Like I was seeing, I would like, when like a Pepsi or a Coke commercial would come on, I would be like, I would be like, you know how like you just kind of disregard commercials? I'd be like, yeah. Or we were at the movies and somebody was drinking a Coke and I was like, let's all go to the lobby. That's what I wanted to do. I want to drink that. But if I drank that, I was going to hurt myself terribly. Okay. That's what sin is like. And that's what's shown here, that our desires are strong. My desire for that that refreshment or that ice cold, especially when you're nauseated, just that just that was so good, but it was going to be so much pain. And this is do not follow your desires to their end. Don't follow your heart. It's bad advice. Might make a cute T-shirt, but it's a terrible way to live because your desires are deceitful. And so are mine. And this is a way to show it. These things, these Old Testament stories are there so that we might not desire evil as the people of Israel did. And then it says this, do not be, verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as is written. Idolater is someone who worships something other than the one true God. 
And it verse, it, and then he, there's a quote, and this is from Exodus 32, 7. It says, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play, which means they rose up to sin. Idolatry in those days involved drunken debauchery and sexual immorality. And so they have, and here's what the crazy thing is. God has redeemed Israel. This is the cycle. God brings them out, and he does all these amazing signs. He feeds them. He waters them. Okay, I know that sounds weird, but he gave them water to drink. And, and then he, he saved them from the Egyptian army, and they get out there and like, we had better stuff to eat in Egypt. Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments from God, and they're like, Moses is gone. You know what we should do? Let's take all the, the, the gold and stuff that we got from the Egyptians when we left, and let's make an idol and worship it. And you know that turned out bad for them. The God you make with your own hands is easily toppled. And it was terrible. And they saw the outcome of this. It was terrible. And we're tempted towards idolatry. But the stories that we see in the Old Testament remind us that idols that are built with hands topple easily. And idols that we made are poor substitutes for the one true God, and they lead us to destruction. So all of our pride and all of our greed and all of our glory that we seek, whether it's on the athletic field or it's just in business or it's just in our family life or in how my house looks, all of it is fleeting and bad gods. And this, sh- this shows us that that is a desire that is wrong. We all would like God to agree with everything that we do, but it's, a, it's deadly to make God in your own image and to worship an idol and not the one true God. Secondly, we see in verse 8, you see, we see the dangers of the sexual immorality. We say in verse 8, it says, We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We think sexual immorality has no consequence. But we see direct consequences when people die. This is from Numbers 25, 1 through 9. By the way, if you go and read that, it talks about, it's very strong language in the ESV. It's very strong language. It actually says that Israel played the whore with Moab. It's exactly what the Bible says. I'm just quoting it. And basically what it means is they found a bunch of Moab prostitutes. And if you look at in ancient religions, most of the time, um, prostitution was involved with worship. That's a church you don't want to walk into, Okay. Um, and so that is what was happening. And Israel got involved with that because their sexual desires overcame what they knew from the one true God. And this is after the Ten Commandments is given, and they know the sanctity of marriage. They know that the only proper expression of sexuality is between one man and one woman in the marriage covenant. That is, they know that. It's been, they've seen that um, in, in, the, in the scriptures. They, they, they know that to be the case. Well, they didn't have the scripture at the time. They had the, the God speaking to them. They know it from the Ten Commandments. But their desires overcame them, and it led to immediate destruction. I just, just want to put this out here. Listen, many of us are seeking peace in our life. We have anxieties. I, I know this to be true. We are a very medicated country with anxieties and depression and all those type of things. There are multiple causes, and there's multiple things that can help, medication being one of those things. But I want you to get this. If you're living your life in open sin, especially sexual immorality, don't be 
Don't be surprised if you have extra anxiety and no peace. God is ruffling your feathers, stirring up your waters to show you that is no way to live. And these stories show us that sexual immorality, even though we can think it's just Netflix and chill, it is more than that. It is a sin that leads to death. And, and, that's, and it's become something that we just kind of benignly pass over. Cohabitation, all those things. And I'm not saying there's not grace and there's not forgiveness. If you know anything about me, you know about grace and forgiveness. And I'm the last person in the world who would ever do anything to hurt any of you. I just want to tell you the truth. If you're living with no peace, it may be that you're not living at peace with God. And I just want to just put that out there, just to know that, because that's what happened. Sexual immorality led them to a place where there was actual, literal death right in front of us. And the death that we may have from sexual immorality or any sin may not be immediate, but this is an example to us to show the dangers of sexual immorality. Verse 9 says this, We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. So they were grumbling, complaining. This is a story out of Numbers 21. This is another weird story in which the people are grumbling and complaining, and God sends snakes, venomous snakes to them. Terrible. That scene in Indiana Jones, if you've ever seen it, where they go into the pit of snakes, is my worst nightmare. Claustrophobia, snakes. If I was, and that's like both of them. I'm stuck in a room with snakes. And you know how Indy was like that? I'd be like so much worse than that. Just snakes. Just thinking about that right now, I, if you took my blood pressure, it would be through the roof because I'm just thinking about snakes and those nasty things. So these nasty poisonous snakes come out because they were grumbling and complaining against God. And these snakes come out and they bite the people and the people are dying, okay? And they're like, help! Which I would have died of a coronary, okay? Like, woo! <laughs> it bit me! Like, I see a snake. I'm bad, man. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's no good. I see the snake. I hate the snake. The only good snake is a dead snake. I understand why Satan took the form of a snake, because they're disgusting. And these poisonous things bite the people, and they're dying. God tells Moses to make a serpent, put it up on a pole, And everyone who looks to the serpent will no longer die if they look and live. And that likely, that snake, was likely on a pole that resembled a cross. And it points to Jesus' resurrection. Because if you look to Christ, your fatal wound will no longer be fatal and you have eternal life. But we see the outcome of putting Christ to the test of frustrating the purposes of God, of living between two ways, living between a life you lead and a life that he leads. It's dangerous. Then we also see the danger of grumbling. This one always hurts my heart too because it's easy to grumble. Hey, I've been doing a lot of stuff over there at the Little League. You guys been over there? I know. He's like, you're going to get meddling. Okay, I am. Okay? But not where you think I'm going. 
I'm not going to tell you about how, man, my boy needs more playing time, okay? Or how if that coach would just coach better, they do. Have you ever sat in the stands and you got the two guys or three guys or four guys out there trying to keep, herd those cats, okay? And everybody was like, I'll tell you what I would do. And I was like, well, get out there! Or everybody, like, going on the Little League's Facebook page and throwing shade at all them dudes that are not getting paid to do all that stuff. It's tough. Grumbling is not becoming of the people of God. Whether it's in church, whether it's at the ballpark, whether it's anywhere. And it always, let me tell you this. When we grumble and complain, destruction eventually follows. And that's what happens with the people in verse 10. It says, as some of them did. They were destroyed by the destroyer. And so as we look through these stories, and just in a second, I just want to show you these. They're going to, they're going to, help, they're going to, they're going to do something. They're going to confront our desires. We do not like confrontation. We also definitely don't like it when God confronts us with our sin. We really don't like that. But these stories help us confront. God confronts us, and he does it in a way through a story in which we get confronted with our sin and our own sinful desires and we get to that point where we have to say no to the desire and yes to the truth. And these stories are there to help us to do that so we won't live in evil desires anymore. And I hope you hear me today, okay? There is a way forward. And that these stories give you is a way forward of walking in grace. You might, not, you might have been walking in a, a, a lot. Your life might be jacked up. It might be a dumpster fire. But here's the good news. There's a way forward, and these stories help us not to live by our own desires, but to live according to the truth. And then verse 11, and this is where I want to wrap it up. Now, these things happen to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction. These stories, these, these Old Testament stories are there to instruct us how we ought to walk, how we ought to see Christ, how we ought to worship him because of who, all who he is. And the Old Testament just fleshes that out for us. But it also tells us this. It gives us instructions on how to walk. So we're not left with a life, trying to put together a life using Ikea instructions. Vague. Think this is right. You know, that's how most people live, right? Is they basically like, they look at life and their circumstances and their upbringing, and they just like, okay, I think I'm going to do this. This seems to work. It's pragmatism lived out. And nine times out of ten, it does not work out. Ultimately, it won't work out. You can't go your own way and think it's going to work. It's going to lead, it's going to lead to a train wreck somewhere. Because even following Jesus, train wrecks happen. You know that, right? He's just working all things for our good, and those we have that promise that he's working in our train wrecks. And he's using our train wrecks for our good, which is awesome. But most of us live our life by just, man, this feels right. This doesn't feel right. Go with your gut. Or maybe my dad did this. So I'll try this. And we don't live by any sort of framework or worldview that we go by. But we have instructions through the scripture of how life ought to be arranged. So therefore, there are definitely gray areas in the Christian life. You know that, right? It doesn't talk about fashion in the Bible. You got me. It doesn't really talk about that. It does talk about modesty. All right? But there's some, there's some range there. All right? 
Talks, but doesn't talk about, you know, you got sneakers, I don't know, or you need to wear a suit. None of that's in there. But it does give you a framework and instruction for how you ought to live, what you ought to follow, what you ought to be about. What, what desires lead to death, what desires lead to life. They're there, and therefore our instruction. And these stories help us to do that. And I want to tell you something. You may know this and you may not. It's really hard to live the Christian life. It's hard to live life in general. Like when you were a kid, you thought life was hard, right? And if you're, if you're a student or a kid in here today, you're like, duh, it is. But when you woke up, you had clothes in your closet that you did not pay for mostly, okay? And you did not have to worry about what was going to be cooked that night. It was usually on the table. And not only that, you did not have to worry about health insurance, where you're going to get the health insurance. And if your health insurance company that you pay all that money to is going to actually pay for those things. And then car insurance. And you didn't know what a deductible was. And then you found out, like, I pay for this, then I got to pay more? So you do what you, I pay you for? What? And then that's why you see all those memes and stuff about adulting. Like, I don't want to adult today. And you're like, this life is hard. But I want to tell you this, take it even farther. If you, if you are living as a Christian, if you are trusting in Christ, you are called out of darkness into marvelous light, and then you walked into a war that you didn't even know you were a part of. Now you are living in a rebellion against the world. You are living where Satan hates your guts. He wants to destroy you. And your own desires war in you. The things you don't want to do, you do. And the things you do want to do, you don't do. And there's a battle at war. There's a raging war. And we have to fight somehow. And we can't fight God's battles using human weapons. So we can't fight with anger. Can't fight resentment. We can't even fight physically. And so we are at war, and life is tough sometimes. And circumstances come, and we know God's there, but sometimes we don't feel that he's there. But this was written for our instruction. To those whom the end of the ages have come, which is, we're here now. It's every, the end of the ages in the scripture are from when Christ came till now, and we're part of that. In the people of the end. And we need weapons to fight with. And do you know what our weapons are? They're silly in the world's eyes. But prayer is a weapon for us. And prayer, for it to be right, must be informed by what the Scripture says about prayer, not what we feel about prayer. We need to be instructed in prayer, and worship. But I want you to know this. If you don't understand who God is, as revealed in the Scripture, who are you worshiping? You could very likely be worshiping yourself if you're not worshiping a God who is clearly, and you're worshiping in a way that's clearly prescribed in, script, in Scripture. But also, I would tell you this. We have to fight in our hard life with these stories. And here's how that happens. Here's just one of the many ways. I don't want to be like the people of Israel who grumble and complain. 
Because I know that grumbling and complaining is not good and it leads to death. And also, I realize when I grumble and complain, I'm not just grumbling and complaining to the person next to me. I'm grumbling and complaining to my God. And my God has brought this into my life. I know it's hard. But I want you to get this. I believe this wholeheartedly. Everything that comes into our life is father-filtered. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing. And you have to fight with that. Fight with these stories that you know. I feel like grumbling and complaining. I feel, God, why did you bring this? Why is this so hard? Why won't they get their act together? Why do they love drugs more than they love their kids? Why? Why? I don't get it. Why the health thing? Why this? Why the marriage problems? Why the money problems? Why? Why? I want to grumble. I want to complain. I want to rage. I want to do things that would, that would help me forget about it. I want to find situations that make me feel good, that make me forget about the bad. But then you look at these stories and then you see the outcome that following their own path led the people of Israel to destruction. And you know that's no way to live. And you also know this, that when you follow God, even if you don't see him, he's there. These stories prove it. You know why? Because the people of Israel were groaning in their pain in, Is- in Egypt. You know what God did? He heard them. And he sent help. And he brought them out. And then when they were grumbling, complaining, we don't have anything to eat. Bread from heaven. I'm thirsty. Water from a rock. The bread's getting old. Quails, which doesn't sound good, but I guess if you hadn't had meat, quail's good, okay? (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) I got a testimony back there. I got a testimony about quail. And he sent the quail, and and he promised to be with his people. And then when his people screw up, do you know what he does? Does he write them off? No, he is a faithful God. His steadfast love endures forever. Remember, we sang that and we said that. It really does. You know how you believe that? You can just believe it going, I just believe everything's going to work out fine because I'm positive. Or you could just go to the scriptures and that's like true. And you can say his steadfast love endures forever because it worked for those people and they were morons and it works for me because I'm a moron too. And it's true. And you can rejoice in the truth that if he was there with Israel, then he'll be there with me. And also this, if he forgave the sexually immoral, then he'll forgive the sexually immoral now. And if he forgave the grumblers, then he will forgive the grumblers now. And if he, if he forgave the idolaters, then he will forgive the idolaters now. And if he forgave the ones who put him to the test, he'll forgive the ones when you put him to the test. That's good news from the Old Testament. And you need that because that is our weapons to fight. If you go with your gut and you go with an optim- just your optimism, it'll fail you. Truth stands firm in all situations. And we need God's stories to help us walk, to understand Jesus and to walk in this life because it's hard. It's hard. You know that, right? I just want you, it's okay. It's hard. 
life, life is hard. Sin has broken this world. And we make terrible decisions and we sin. Life is hard. We lose people that we love. It is hard. We make decisions that are just terrible and they have consequences. Life is hard. But praise be to God, his steadfast love endures forever. If he did it for them, he'll do it for us. If he did it then, he'll do it now. We change a lot. God doesn't. And I want us to hold on and fight. People, let's hold on and fight. Fight the fight of faith. And this is one of the ways. Pray, worship, and go to the promises. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to do communion together. God, it's um, it's confronting to us to see that our desires lead us to death. But it's comforting to us to know that you are faithful and your steadfast love endures forever. This Old Testament shows us that and it's there to help us to not walk in sinful desires, but to live with the instructions. So God, I, I pray in the Spirit for my brothers and sisters in this room who I dearly love and for myself. God, may we walk in truth. May we fight the fight of faith. May we not be discouraged by the pain and the difficulty, but know that you're working all things for our good and your love endures forever. May we fight with the truth of Scripture. Lord, may we fight with weapons not of this world. I pray you bless my brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. We're going to invite you this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus, we're going to the communion team forward. We're going to celebrate communion in a minute. Communion is a great time for us to reflect. Communion represents our hope, which is Christ broken and his blood spilled for us. Um, It is a great symbol in a minute. So we're passing up the elements. If you're a believer in Jesus, we invite you to partake of it with us. Um, We'll take them in a a few minutes um, together. After you receive the elements, we'll take them in a minute. As we do that, if um, this is a great time, uh, you got some com- uh, some of the. If you want to connect with us or pray, I always love to talk to you after the service. Um, come come find me. But if you want to connect in a way and, and you want to, we have these passport cards, and in a few minutes, the offering plate's going to go around. This may be a great time for you to do some business with God. So I'm going to invite the uh, ask the uh, uh, the sound booth crew back there to play a little bit of music as we kind of contemplate and think about this. God had something to say to you today. Had your name on it. Um, do some business with God in prayer right now.
these elements represent our hope. Not in our own righteousness, but in Christ's righteousness and in his blood. Today, we, we celebrate when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples. He took bread and when he had broken, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat. In like manner, he took the cup after supper and said, this is the new covenant of my blood. Take it and drink. As often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, we're so glad to be together today to worship. And let's end like this, okay? Let's end how we started. If you would, stand up. We're going to go back to those slides where we started with in Psalm 136. And here's how we're going to end it, responsibly. I'm going to say it, and you say, for his steadfast love endures forever. I know you got it. You already had it. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven. Go in that good news. You're dismissed.